You are listening to The Gateway Church, located in Ferrisburg, Michigan. You can learn more about us by visiting thegateway.church or like and follow us on Facebook, where you can watch full services, keep up with all that is going on, and get connected. Last week, uh, Pastor started our Exile series by looking at 1 Peter chapter 1, and uh, I love that I have the opportunity to share this morning as we continue in with this series. Um, and let me say, I, I not only love that, but I love... Um, I love that our church loves God's word, but also that we're a church that allows different voices and people to preach. And maybe some of you don't, don't look at your neighbor, but maybe some of you don't love that. And I don't know. I don't know. But I think it's kind of important. Hearing from different voices of people who have different experiences, it allows us to hear different uh, perspectives and to get out of our own little echo chambers. And, and it stretches us to think about more than just content consuming as well. Because we're not supposed to be consumers here. We're supposed to be participators, right? That's why we all just sang together. And I love that different people get to participate in sharing God's word on Sunday mornings. And you'll get to hear uh, from a bunch of different voices as we continue. So hearing from different people, whether it's from our church or missionaries from around the world, it reminds us that following Jesus is about more than just us. It's a reminder that it's not about me. And can you say that with me this morning? It's not about me. It's not about me. One more time, just to let it sink in a little bit. It's not about me. Man, I can't believe you guys just said that. Oh, man, guess what? Because now someone has to hold you to it. At the end, I'm going to be like, hey, you said it. It's not about you. So here we are. Um, But I not only love that we get to hear uh, from different voices of people around the church, but I also love that we are at a church that does something called expository preaching, which is when we go through one book of the Bible at a time. And if you want to follow along in this series, uh, make sure you grab uh, this thing called an ESV scripture journal. Uh, They are in the lobby as you walked in. I think there are a few left. So if you don't have one and you want to follow along with us, take notes, read ahead, and do all those things, you can stand up right now, leave. I won't be offended. Grab one. But just make sure you come back in or I will be offended. So... One great thing about expository preaching is that you can't self-edit. I just can't decide like what I want to preach about based on my feelings. I can't ignore hard topics or gloss over tough passages. Um, I have to take scripture as it's written in its original context. And sometimes, just sometimes, it forces me to face my own sins and my own prejudices, uh, which is definitely, maybe, kind of, what I was feeling this week as I was studying. But I don't know if you've heard this. It's not about me. Oh, okay. So it sounds like you have heard it. So, all right, good. So last week, Pastor Ben, he launched this series by discussing a few uh, important foundational components of Peter's letter, uh, that Peter was talking to a growing Christian community that was facing some hostility and persecution from those around them. And this is where we get our series Exiles from, uh, that though they were living in first century Rome, they were citizens of heaven. And so how do you live as kingdom people while residing in a fallen world? Or how do we bow to Jesus when the rest of the world is bowing to Caesar? See, that's why Peter is writing these Christians uh, in modern-day Turkey, that, that even though this letter was written to people in first-century Asia Minor, 
Think about it. It sounds a little bit, and Pastor Ben even mentioned this last week, it sounds a little bit like our world today, right? That, that we seem to be living in a world that is becoming more and more polarized. That some would say we're living in a more secular or pluralistic society. Some are even fearful of our current culture while others are waging a war against culture. And fighting a culture war ranges from discussing everything from politics to sexuality to religion. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter talks about a different kind of war that is waging, that there are things in our lives that wage war against our very own souls, that Peter's realizing that there is a spiritual war that is waging. But what does this war look like? And I know some of you maybe are thinking, this is what I think, like, our culture really likes to call every invisible difficulty or conflict a war, right? Like, we have the war on hunger, or the war on poverty, or the war on drugs, or the war on crime, and even more recently, the war on terror. And who knows, there's probably a war about, like, wearing white after Labor Day, or, or a war against soy milk, or something like that. But real quick, like, soy milk is the worst, right? Like, we understand that people uh, aren't irrational if they're going to war against soy milk. Like, it's just, it's like any other milk alternative except, like, way worse with a gross aftertaste, right? Like, maybe there are some invisible wars worth getting behind. Um, forget about the war on drugs. The war on soy milk is here. So, but like I mentioned, some people today are fighting a culture war of sorts as well. The war Peter is mentioning is a culture war too, but it is a different kind of culture war that he is describing. And, and the culture war that is waging against our souls, it has two components. It has this internal war within us, and it's this external war around us. And each war that we are fighting requires two different approaches because they're two different battles. And with that, you can open your ESV scripture journal or your Bible or your phone, I don't know, uh, to 1 Peter chapter 2, and we will look at how we can win the war within. So 1 Peter 2, verse 1, it says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. And if, if I was you, I would maybe underline what I underlined. You don't have to do that. You can circle it. You can ignore it. Do whatever. But like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then we'll skip down a few verses, verses 9 through 10. It says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And with that, let's pray. Jesus, let your word speak to us today. Let it challenge us, let it inspire us, let it convict us like only you can do. Let your spirit speak through your word today, in Jesus' name, amen. 
So we win the internal battle within us that is waging for our souls when we remember who we are. Pastor Benny shared this concept last week. Maybe you remember it. It goes like this. You are, so be. And in chapter one, we learn that Christians are holy, so they need to be holy. But you might be confused by that, and you might be wondering what it means to be holy. So if you have your journals, again, you don't have to do this, but I would write this down. To be holy simply means to be set apart or dedicated to God's service. So when most of us think of holiness, we think of people who are pure or pious or innocent, or we think of the transcendent. But here, Peter is saying that they are set apart in their status. They're children of God. They're set aside, dedicated, and consecrated for a very special purpose, that they are wholly other from the world around them, or maybe even from who they once were. This idea of being separated and dedicated is what Peter is expounding on as we enter in to chapter 2. And with that, did you notice how many titles Peter gave to those who were writing? How many things were underlined in that scripture that we went through? He was saying, this is who you are as people who are dedicated to God's service. That we are born again that we're stones and pieces of what God is building here on earth, that, that we, each and every one of us, should see ourselves as priests. Each of our lives are now seen as an offering before God. And so really think about that. Do you see what you do as a priestly service to God? That when you're raising your kids, you are called to do so as a service and offering to God. That as you go to work, you're not working for the man or you're not working to make some green or some cheddar. Like, you are working as a service to God. Our service for God is more than just helping at the church every week or, or serving at an outreach like we did on the 4th of July. But our whole lives are seen this way. He doesn't just say that we are offering priestly sacrifices he gives us each the title of priest. So think of how our everyday activities would change if we saw eternal significance to everything we did. And think of how our perspective of ourselves as Christians would change if we understood what it means to be holy, to be priests, that we are stones of what God is building here on earth. Just thinking about it, it kind of gives me, I don't know about you, it gives me uh, a sense of something I call imposter syndrome. Uh, that, you know, God must be talking about someone else, right? Like, I imagine people hearing this for the first time and they're kind of like, him, right? Like, you're talking about him because you can't be talking about me. Because sometimes I feel the exact opposite. And maybe you feel that way too. But maybe that's the very reason why Peter is writing in the first place, that they need to be reminded who they are. And we need to be reminded of that too. And that's why I love that we do things. Like I said, this is a participation that we aren't consuming. And we participated in singing those declarations this morning in worship. Who the sun sets free, oh, is free indeed. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. 
And I can tell by your lack of participation there that Lydia did a way better job than me. It's okay. I don't take offense. It's all right. She crushed it. Um, But I'm a child of God. I'm chosen. I'm not forsaken. These are titles, not just that we sang this morning, but these are the same very titles that Peter used here in 1 Peter chapter 2. He goes to say, we are a chosen people. We are royalty. We are a holy community in God's own possession that we belong to him. The way Peter is writing, it's astounding. Think about it because he is attributing roles and titles that were historically exclusive for the people of Israel and he is saying them about Christians in the first century. In verse 10, he hits the nail on the head when he says that we are now God's people. This is one foundational piece that Peter wants to hit right off the bat because he knows that there is a war that is waging for our souls. That we are in a fallen world and we were once fallen ourselves. All of us have sinned and we've fallen short of God's standard. And so it's so easy when things are tough to forget about who we are or to get imposter syndrome. It's easy when living in enemy territory to forget our own identity. And it's easy when others are living and behaving in the ways of the world to do the same thing. So to win this internal battle for our souls, we need to remember who we are. We also need to remember whose we are. See what I did there? Ooh, fun. We belong to Christ. He is our foundation. And like it says in this chapter, he is our cornerstone. Uh, that Peter says in verse 2, he even says that we are mere infants, hopefully you underline that, and that we need to be nurtured and dependent on Christ like a baby is dependent on milk. He says that we have tasted and we have seen that the Lord is good, that we need to remind, be reminded of whose we are, and that will help us remember who we are. See, I had a professor in college, he said it this way, that we should never put our faith in something that can let us down or, support, uh, or disappoint us. Never put your faith in something that can let you down or disappoint you. And when we put our faith or our identity in work, our self-worth is defined by success or status or wealth. And when we put our identity in sports or in grades, we find ourselves one day either living in the past or chasing the next hobby or thing to give us worth. When we define ourselves by our politics or our American citizenship or capitalism or whatever, we can find ourselves vilifying others or seeking power at all costs or making compromises to win or even gaining the world but forfeiting our souls in the process. And we define ourselves even by good things like our spouse or our kids or our health. What happens when there's a rough patch in our marriage or, or when the kids move out of the house or, or if we get divorced or if we get a cancer diagnosis or if a spouse tragically passes away or when we even define ourselves by a specific church like the Gateway Church or, or a ministry or a pastor, we're left serving a person maybe instead of Christ or, or we're left feeling betrayed or broken or, or blaming God when we find out that those that follow him, even pastors, are fallible and fallen, just like everyone else. When we define ourselves by something other than Jesus, we are left empty. And we lose sight of who we are as individuals and also as the body of Christ. So Peter tells us to continually draw our identity from Christ like a baby continually needs to nurse on its mother. 
that we are connected and dependent in who we are because of who he is. And that's not just as Christians. That's just simply as humans. That is why Jesus needs to be our cornerstone and our foundation. This is how we win. This is how we win the internal culture war that is waging within us. That there are values of our culture, values from our upbringing, values from capitalism or our family or our jobs that are blinding us from who we are in Christ. And it's easy for us to look at blatant sins that distract us or that deter us from our Christian identity, like sex and drugs and rock and roll or whatever. But it's quite easy to miss the insidious sins that also detract us, like gossiping or greed or favoritism or prejudice or bitterness or fear or indifference or power. So to win the internal battle that is waging for our souls, we need to remember who we are. We need to remember whose we are. But there's also this external war that's waging around us as well, right? And this is a big piece that Peter is writing about in his letter. And when we think of war, we usually think of externals like this that Peter is addressing throughout the rest of his letter. That the church, they're starting to get persecuted from outsiders for their faith because their faith is making them stand out from the rest of the world around them. They're different. But like Peter said, they are holy. They are set apart. So they're going to stick out from those around them. And before he tells them what to do and how to respond, he is reminding them, who they are, and to whom they belong. So, with that in mind, let's continue reading 1 Peter chapter 2 as we see the external culture war that they are facing and that we're facing as well. He starts in verse 11 by stating yet another title. Listen, he says, Beloved, loved ones, dear friends, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul hey, that's where we got this uh, idea of war. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And then in verses 15 through 17, it says, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants. Or in the Greek, it literally says slaves. Live as slaves to God. Honor everyone. Love your brothers and sisters. Fear God. Honor the emperor and those in authority. So right off the bat, we see a few more titles of who we are before we're even told what to do. And think of the shift here. Like, he just got done saying, hey... You're a chosen race. You're a, you're a holy nation. But now in the next breath, he's saying, hey, we're sojourners. We're exiles. And it almost feels like a complete about face. Like, hey, we're a holy nation, but also we're kind of like living in exile, you know. But in God, we're chosen. And in the world, we're outsiders. And in Christ, we're holy and set apart. And in this world, we, we might be a little different. Some maybe even a little bit more than others. We're strangers, even sometimes in our own homes. But in that, we need to remember where we belong. So what Peter is saying is similar to the words of Jesus, that though we are living in this world, we do not belong to this world. We are now citizens of the kingdom of God, and Christ is our king and our model. And to those who bow to the Caesars of this world, whether they're dictators or socialists or conformists of capitalism or Marxism, they just don't get it. 
because we have been defined ourselves by who we are in him and not by anything else. Because we're now first citizens of the kingdom of heaven, we need to renounce our citizenship and our allegiance with the world and the kingdoms of this world. And this means not giving in to temptations like greed or sexual immorality or exploitation or racism or, or a million other things. And this also means having perspective of our place in the world. That we're just temporary residents and guests. That we are exiles and sojourners. That, that we are storing up for ourselves treasures in heaven and not treasures on earth. And with that in mind, Peter calls us to live at peace with those around us. One of the things I love about Christianity is how they used words and ideas of the time, and they flipped them on their head. And Pastor Ben even talked about that this morning with the idea of grace and peace as we opened up worship. But in regards to war, this isn't an exception as well, that there are different ways to bring peace to a situation or, or even to a country or a kingdom. So think for a second of the idea of a king who brings peace through bloodshed. In the first century, there was this uh, Latin word called Pax Romana, which just means the peace of Rome. It was a common phrase for how the largest government in the world handled conflict. And, and you can look it up, you can Google it. There's probably a Wikipedia page on it. Uh, most historians say that Pax Romana, uh, which spanned through the time of Jesus for a couple hundred years, was the most prosperous time in Rome's history. And it sounds nice, right? Like, the peace of Rome, it makes it feel all warm and fuzzy inside. And, and even Pax Romana, it, found, it sounds like a fancy salad dressing or like the new hybrid car, like, hmm, Pax Romana, mm, right? Like, ooh, I'd order that, right? But that's far from what Pax Romana really was. That when there was a war, Caesar would bring the most powerful army in the world and he would bring peace by slaughtering whoever stood in his way. So there was peace, but it was because Caesar forced it through the sword. And this kind of peace is usually what most people think about when they think of a king who brings peace through bloodshed, right? That, that's what most of the people around the world think. But that isn't how Jesus brings peace. And it isn't how uh, Peter tells us to be at peace with people. Because we also serve a king who brought peace through bloodshed. But instead of being a king who had servants, our king came as a servant. Instead of choosing a sword, our king chose a cross. And instead of shedding the blood of his enemies, our king loved his enemies and shed his own blood. Instead of bringing the world to its knees to bring peace, our king knelt down, washed feet, and himself was the Prince of Peace. Instead of bringing peace through others' suffering, our King Jesus became the Son of Suffering. See, there are two types of peacemakers in this world, and both require sacrifice. But the peace that the Romes of this world offer, they sacrifice others' freedom for the sake of, of their own comfort or their own peace or their own freedom. And the peace of Christ is one of sacrificial love, of laying down personal freedoms and rights for the sake of others. So what king do you follow? So take this idea 
of Christ as our king and, and us being representatives and take this idea of being citizens to this kind of kingdom and now apply it to being a guest or being an exile or being a sojourner, even here on earth, here and now, that we are living as missionaries because we are always living as exiles from the kingdom of heaven and we're visiting wherever we are on earth. It's like the book. Have you guys heard of the book, If You Give a Mouse a Cookie? Anyone? One of my favorites as a kid. I love it. But think of it. We are called to be good house guests and not annoying house pests. That's the whole point of the book, right? And we are guests coming from another country and another kingdom, and we come as representatives of our king. Has anyone here been out of the country? I know, I'm asking a few questions. Come on, where's our DR trip at? What up? I see you. All right. But sometimes when we are in a different culture or a different country, there's this tension that exists between our American values and the values of these other countries. And we might have to dress different or, or do things differently or, or even eat different food, like in some places where they eat giant hamsters, like, hey, here's this giant rat, eat it. Um, and even if you're in a country long enough, you might have to learn a different language if you want to get around. But it doesn't eliminate the fact that you're an American citizen. It doesn't change who you are. And, and if you didn't know, uh, this speaks to me this week because my wife Kyle and Pastor Ben's wife Jessica, they are in a Muslim country in Africa uh, until Tuesday where it is customary for women to wear long sleeves and long pants when they're in public. So even though it isn't against the law or they won't get in trouble, they decided to set aside their freedom to wear shorts in a very hot country where the high today, I believe, is 97 degrees out of respect for the culture and the people that they're visiting who live in that country. So they are choosing to live at peace by laying down their personal freedom for the sake of others. So what would it say to people around them if they, if they blatantly disrespected the culture and, and did whatever they wanted? What does it say to another country to take the posture of an entitled tourist instead of a humble visitor? And what are Kyle and Jessica, what are they losing by wearing pants? I mean, aside from like their body weight and sweat, like they're really losing nothing, right? Because it doesn't change who they are and whose they are. It makes me think about, you know, something I heard a little bit ago. It's not about me. Maybe you've heard that too. I don't know. But it's not about my freedom. It's about following Jesus. It's about being a good witness. It's about being a representative of him as we are representatives here on earth. It's not about me, but I think many of us have tried to win a culture war that we're not even supposed to be fighting in the first place. You know, now I'm kind of talking about a, a culture war that we're facing in America. You know, I think many of us are trying to take the posture of Caesar or Rome and win over a culture through voting or boycotting or power instead of laying down our rights and freedoms for the sake of others. We have focused on winning so much that we forgot that how we win is just as important. One famous political pundit after uh, the 2020 election, he said that turning the other cheek has gotten us nothing in the culture war. He said that his party and his candidate lost because Christians wouldn't lay their Christian identity aside. You know, it makes me think of this quote from one of C.S. Lewis's best friends, Sheldon Vonnegut. He said, the best argument for Christianity is Christians, their joy, their certainty, their completeness. 
But the strongest argument against Christianity is also Christians, when they are somber and joyless, when they are self-righteous and smug and complacent consecration, when they are narrow and repressive, then Christianity dies a thousand deaths. We've become so worried about seeing the culture as our enemy that we failed to see that Christ has called us to reach those living in that very same culture. How can we reach those that we're villainizing, that we're demonizing? That when Christ has called us to reach out a hand, we instead have picked up stones. When did we decide that following Jesus and turning the other cheek wasn't working anymore? I don't want to invite the worship team back up as we wrap up the message this morning. Like Pastor Ben said last week, you are, so be. We are Christians, so be like Christ. You might feel like the world is coming against you. Or you might feel like the world is coming against family values or, or that they're coming for your children or trying to end democracy. And maybe some of that is true. But over and over and over and over in this letter, Peter says that it is by doing good that we reach the lost. Not by voting, not by bringing peace like Caesar brought peace, not by boycotting businesses or sharing a post online or, or speaking hate towards our leaders. We silence those who hurl insults at us when we love them in return. We make a difference in the world when we rebuild the bridges that others are burning. The Apostle Paul said that we should not be overcome by evil, but that we should overcome evil by doing good. And Peter is saying the same thing here. So with that, I want you to just take a moment and think, who do you need to show love towards in your home or in your family or on the lake shore or in our government or on social media? trust me, like I know, it'll be tough at times, because it's tough to love those who do nothing but hate you. It's hard to show kindness to those who choose to mischaracterize you. Because loving others, it means that we decide that we no longer control the narrative. Loving others means laying down our lives for others. Because we have nothing to lose. We have everything to gain. That's what Peter reminds them from the beginning. Before they're exiles, they're chosen. They're priests. They're loved. And they're holy. And you are too. You are too. You may feel like the world is against you, but you can rest in the fact that you don't have citizenship here. You're merely a guest don't serve the kingdoms of the world. You serve the king of kings. Your king is the prince of peace and the suffering servant king. And so it's in times of suffering and persecution that we need to find ourselves following our Savior's footsteps. That as we focus on him, 
can better follow him. We focus on him so we can better follow him. How do we win the internal war and the external war that is waging for our souls? We remember who we are. We remember whose we are. And we take up our crosses and follow our suffering servant. Will you stand with me this morning? We're going to respond by singing a song together. A song about transformation. A song about being a witness. A song about God's faithfulness. Will you close your eyes this morning and let's just prepare our hearts. Lord, help this to be something that just doesn't hit my heart, but goes from my heart to my hands and my feet. That loving others isn't about intention, that loving others isn't just about not hating others. That anyone can love those who are easy to love, but Lord, you have called me to love those who everyone hates. You've called me to love those who are hard to love. Let my love be deeper than the way the world loves. By how I love my enemies, how I love those who hurt me, how I love those who are against me. Lord, we thank you and we remember that you are our example, that you lived a perfect, sinless life. And let our words echo yours as well. Forgive them for they know not what they do. That Jesus, you loved even the worst of people. And I know that because that's me. That at my worst, you still love me. And I'm the hardest person for me to love. So help me to love others the way you have loved me time and time again when I've let you down. Time and time again when I've disobeyed you. That we've witnessed your faithfulness, Lord. Let us be witnesses as we leave here. We give you the praise and glory and honor. In Jesus' name. Bobby, thank you so much for bringing the word and for challenging us today. And like this song says, uh, I've seen it. I've, I've seen the good hand of God. I've lived for Jesus a lot of years now. And today, another year added to my life. It's the best way to live. And it gives us great comfort that Peter encourages us that this is not our eternal home. We're just passing through. We're exiles. But let's not forget who we are and whose we are. Let's remember it's all about Jesus. It's not about us. So we need to take up our cross. As we leave here today, we have a commission to make a difference in a world that's not our own. I don't know if you remember the song, some of you that are old like me, um, the song that we used to sing, uh, we are strangers, we are aliens, we are
are not of this world. Remember that? Pat Pesarelli? No. no. I, was, I don't know. I wrote it down in my notes. When I preach next, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to belt it out. I'll be good. But, but it's good to remember that this is not, we're, we're not supposed to fit in. Let's be different. Father, I pray that you'd go before us, behind us, and all around us. Help us to be a light in a dark world. And God, I pray that we'd keep you as our priority and strengthen us for the days ahead, even in exile, even when it's tough. Lord, that we would stay true to you. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen and amen. God bless you. Go in the grace of God. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Gateway Church. If you'd like to find out more about our church, such as service times, giving, and ways to get connected, visit us at thegateway.church.